This is the simplest but most important thing for people with ADHD to think about around food, and that is blood sugar regulation. We can talk about protein, we can talk about omegas, we can talk about all kinds of things that the research has shown is helpful, but blood sugar regulation, keeping your blood sugar levels as stable as you can throughout the day is, in my experience and what the research shows, one of the keys to supporting healthy brain function. Hello, and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. What's up, team? Before you go any further, check out the link in the show notes about the Executive Function Online Summit, also known as TFOS. It starts on Friday, August 20th, which is right around the corner, and it runs through Sunday, August 22nd. Take three days to completely immerse yourself in 23 strategies brought in by all new TFOS presenters, many of whom have appeared on this very show. Help your child better navigate school and life through improved executive function. I'm an old hand at TFOS, so I'll be doing a special bonus strategy on navigating transitions for those who decide to register for the All Access Pass. Once again, the link to register is in the show notes, and I'd love to hear what your thoughts are once you've attended. Also, if you're not listening to all of the shows in the ADHD Rewired podcast network, I recommend you start checking them out. ADHD Rewired, the flagship show, is a phenomenal interview-style podcast hosted by Eric Tivers. Hacking Your ADHD, hosted by Will Kerb, is filled with wonderful strategies and tips to help you better navigate having ADHD. ADHD Diversified is what it sounds like. Join MJ and explore the more diverse areas of ADHD. And the ADHD Friendly Lifestyle with Moira Mabin explores how ADHD affects women and how to make your lifestyle a little more ADHD friendly. You can also check out, wait, what was the question? With Roxy, which is a phenomenal new addition to the network. And finally... Registration for the fall session of the ADHD Essentials Parenting Groups opens up Monday, August 30th. Members will spend eight weeks gaining valuable skills and strategies to improve family communication and connection and to learn ways to better manage anxiety in the home. Go to ADHDessentials.com slash parentgroups for more details or check out the link in the show notes. Welcome to the show. Today, we're talking to Dr. Nicole Birkins. Dr. Birkins is a child psychologist who has appeared in Good Housekeeping, The New York Times, The Washington Post, and has been featured on NBC, CBS, and ABC, including The Today Show. In today's episode, Dr. Birkins discusses ADHD and integrative health. She talks about her neurodiverse friendly approach. She's focused on helping people, not changing them. She also talks about why our starting points should be simple and doable and digs deep into the ways the mind can affect the body, and vice versa. We also go into great depth about the importance of sleep, nutrition, and movement in ADHD management. All right, let's get rolling. So I'm Dr. Nicole Birkins. I have had a winding career through various uh, paths of working with kids. Uh, I am a licensed doctoral clinical psychologist specializing in children and families, I have a master's degree in nutrition and integrative health and am board certified in nutrition and have a master's degree in special education because I started as a teacher. So I have this um, sort of interesting combination of things that I bring to my work today. I do have a private practice in the Grand Rapids, Michigan area. We specialize in working with kids, little, little ones, all the way through young adults um, and even some 
uh, adults as well tend to be family members um, of the kids who have a wide variety of neurodevelopmental and mental health kinds of challenges using a very integrative approach to treatment. And I've got a multidisciplinary team, so that's um, really great in terms of sort of covering all the bases. And uh, in my spare time, when I'm not working with uh, patients and doing things at the clinic, I do a lot of writing, um, speaking. I've got a lot of resources online um, for people because really I'm passionate about parents and professionals having a better understanding of what's going on for kids who have these kinds of brain-based issues and how we can better support them. So that's really in a nutshell about me. And I'll say on the personal side, I am a mom of four, so I get the parent angle of it as well. My kids are older now. They are 14, 17, 19, and 21. And my kids have probably taught me more um, about everything that I need to know to do my job well than, than anything else. So um, yeah, that, that's a bit about me. And I have you on to talk about that integrative health part. How do we navigate the mind-body connection as it relates to ADHD? How can we live in a more healthy way so that our brains are healthier? I know on a personal note, I was just joking about my COVID-25 where I got derailed pretty heartily by the pandemic because it was just doing too many things, mostly trying to run to keep my business afloat, homeschooling my kids, navigating all of the various surprises and uncertainty of covid And one of the things that I just didn't have enough brain space and executive functioning power to keep paying attention to was my diet. It became like a combination of what's easy to make. And also like I'm fried and a cookie would really help me get a little dopamine burst and make me feel like I can pretend I can carry on for another hour, except it's only going to really work for 15 minutes. And so that piece really undermined me. Where do you start with with that mind-body connection and the healthier lifestyle component as an approach to ADHD? I'll tell a little backstory of how I came to even understand these connections or or what, why it is that I'm so passionate about them. Because I was trained, I went to a very traditional clinical psychology training program. And before that, a, a traditional teacher education, uh, educational program. So in, in all of the schooling that I had done, I had not learned much, if anything, about the brain-body, mind-body connection, about the importance of physical health as it relates to mental health, child development, learning, all of those kinds of things. So as is the case with so much in my life and career, it's really been my own children and my patients that have guided me down this path, I started getting curious about 10 years ago, I began noticing all of these kids and adults coming into the clinic with diagnoses like ADHD, you know, other kinds of brain-based things. And they also, when I would take a good thorough history, had lots of things medically going on or physiologically going on. Um, Maybe it was a history of Um, infectious kinds of issues, chronic infections um, and antibiotics. Maybe it was a history of like something like chronic constipation or really bad allergies or food related issues, GI issues, all these things, migraines, chronic headaches. And I started to look at that and I went, huh, that probably isn't a coincidence. Like there's probably some sort of connection going on there. And at the same time, uh, my two younger kids, I was noticing some things with them as well, both in terms of some things going on with their behavior, with their development, alongside of a son with really, really bad eczema, a daughter with, you know, quite a lot of um, health issues that we were dealing with there. And it just got me interested. And this light bulb, I was like, I wonder what, you know, if there is a connection. And I started delving into the research literature and I was like, wow, here's something that I hadn't been told in all of my way too many years of going to formal schooling, which is really that we know there is such a connection between what's going on with our physical health and what's going on with our brain health and our brain function. And so that really got me passionate about exploring that more, about delving more into the world of nutrition, just about understanding how we can take care of our bodies to support our brain, how we can take care of our brain to positively influence our physical health and just understanding the connections more. And it opened up lots of new avenues for supporting kids and families in 
um, in just bringing more ease to life in, you know, really resolving some things that, that they had been struggling with. And I want to be clear because I think this is so important. So I want your listeners to hear this. I talk about this very much in the context of we're not focusing on trying to change who a person is when we're talking about understanding the physiological components of this. Sometimes people will say to me, you want people to change their diet so they can cure their you know, ADHD or whatever. No, no, no. I am a big proponent of neurodiversity. We have a wide spectrum of just uniqueness in terms of how our brains function, how we're wired. Um, and I firmly believe that. And so nothing that I talk about in the realm of supporting people with ADHD or, or anything else that they may have going on is aimed at trying to change or fix, quote unquote, fix the person that they are. Nobody needs fixing. But there are some very real challenges, as you know, that, that kids and adults with ADHD deal with where you go, huh, it'd be nice if this was a little easier, or it would be nice if um, just even I physically felt better, it would be nice if I just felt more comfortable in my own skin. And so that's really, I, I just want to be clear about the context of that, because there can be misunderstanding. And in all fairness, there are people in the realm of integrative health, of functional medicine, of those kinds of things who do look at this as more of like a fix or a cure. And so I just, I, I just want to be clear that I'm really, really sure that everybody has a brain that they are designed to have. Everybody has their inherent uniquenesses. This is really just about empowering people with understanding how the ways that we manage things on the physical side of our lives and our physical body impact for better or for worse, the way that our brains function. And then that gives us all more choices. I think that's the cool part. It, it helps us be more intentional about our choices around lifestyle, around diet, around sleep, around all of those things. And that's what I'm really passionate about is just helping people to make good informed choices about that stuff. I appreciate you saying that because as soon as I hear people talking about brain body connection and going down that road of like, it's a cure they lose all credibility with me. That's right. Because it's not, right? Like it's it's not a cure. It's a treatment, it's a it's a support, it's a way to help navigate things more gently. But there isn't a cure for ADHD. There isn't a cure for autism. That just that's not a thing that exists. So I'm glad that you said that because that's one of the things that drives me the craziest about the mind body connection piece. Even the phrase sounds kind of metaphysical, right? It sounds a little bit like, I know. and we're going to learn how to like use the force and levitate rocks with our brain. That's not what's going on. Your brain is in your body. It's a part of your body. And so it stands to reason that your diet, for example, is going to affect your brain. What one of the mind body connection pieces that I like to champion and talk about on occasion is asthma and anxiety. Mm -hmm. I have asthma. I have anxiety. Turns out there's a pretty strong connection between those two. Because a few years back, I was like, I wonder if that's a thing. I did the research and I found all the science articles and, and journal articles. And one of the things I've learned is if I'm cranky for no reason, I should probably do my inhaler. And then I'm in a better mood like five, 10 minutes later because my brain isn't panicking anymore because that's the anxiety piece is my brain is like, you're slowly suffocating and dying freak out, <laughs> like do something to change this. Typically for me, it's such a low tier asthma attack. It's so subtle that I might not even realize that it's happening. I'm just grumpy. Yeah. And that's the anxiety response is coming out as grumpiness. That's the same idea as stop eating so much white bread and saltines. It's the same concept. It's just oxygen instead of simple carbs. Yeah, absolutely. It's that recognition that the brain and the body are totally interconnected. We have this weird separated thing that we've done in the field of medicine historically, where we sort of think everything from the neck up, okay, that's quote unquote mental health and everything from there down, that's physical health, that's medicine. And it's like, no, wait, everything is interconnected. Nothing that goes on in your brain is disconnected from what's going on in your body and vice versa. And we've got such good evidence of that now showing even the impact that our mental state, that our mind has on physiologically what's going on in the body. So it goes both ways. To me, that's a really exciting thing 
to understand because it gives us more options. It gives us more control. It gives us more possibilities of how we can make our lives easier, how we can um, support making our kids' lives easier. But no, it's not about a cure. It's not about making someone not have ADHD. First of all, that shouldn't even be something that is on our radar as you know what we're wanting to do. And I think when people talk about that and when parents say that, what they mean is, I love my kid. I love the creative, amazing ways that you know, his or her brain works, but I would like for all of these other things that we're really struggling with to not be such a struggle. And that that's legitimate, that piece of how do we support a person to be the best that they can possibly be, not how can we apply some sort of treatment that's going to change who they are and make them not this thing. And I think that unfortunately, this is why this whole idea of more holistic health or integrative medicine kinds of interventions is something that so many people push away from because that is the messaging that they've received around it, right? That this is a fix, this is a cure. And and it's not, this should be part of a plan for all of us in our lives to understand these connections so that we can make better choices just in terms of how we live and how, how we support ourselves Um, and our brain function, because the things that we're going to talk about, they're not unique to ADHD. These are things for anybody diagnosed or not that just help our brains and bodies feel and function better. And when we feel better, we function better. And when we function better, we're able to be more of who we truly are and bring our gifts to the world. And that's what I get excited about. I like to call ADHD life on hard mode. Yeah. Right. Because that's what it is. It's just more difficult for me to exist in this world because I have ADHD. I don't have as much wiggle room in terms of being able to make mistakes, in terms of what my diet looks like, what my sleep habits look like. But also I make more mistakes because I have ADHD. Like it's a double-edged sword. I have less wiggle room for mistakes, but I'm also way more likely to make them. So I'm constantly playing catch up. I'm always trying to recover. And if I don't get my ducks in a row, if I don't have everything lined up, my life gets a lot more difficult and I'm constantly walking that razor's edge of, can I balance this now? And what do I have to let go in order to maintain this balance? I used to have rock solid sleep, really, really strong dietary habits, excellent exercise stuff. And then like stuff changed. My wife had to have knee surgery and that threw things off. I had surgery at one point and that threw stuff off because I couldn't exercise like I used to. And so it was harder to to get back into shape after I lost that. I don't know if you're aware of this, but um, there was this global pandemic that hit. Really? Yeah. Some people know about it. Some people don't. Tell me more. (laughs) Tell me more about that. (laughs) And so one of my questions is, what are the things that we should prioritize when we're prioritizing our physical health? Where do we want to start? Great question. And I think what you just raised is really key. This idea of where's our threshold at any given point in time. And you're right. The threshold is inherently lower for how much you can manage with ease when you have a brain-based issue like ADHD, right? Or, Or really we could say for lots of different things, your threshold is lower. There is less wiggle room. I love how you said there's less wiggle room for that. There's a lot more yet to be attended to. So to me, when we take care of our physical health and manage our lifestyle well, what we're doing there is just helping to bump that threshold up. So we have more capacity, more bandwidth to sort of manage things. We're able to give ourselves more of that wiggle room. To me, that's what this is about. There are several areas that I talk about with families around this, um, and, and we, can, we can get into each. We've got nutrition, we've got sleep, we've got movement, and we've got stress management kind of are the, the big four. We can throw relationships in there too. I really like to give people very simple, doable starting points because that's critical, especially when you have a brain that you already are maxed out and at your threshold. Somebody saying to, you know, you really should do this complicated, you know, 17 step diet every day. And, you know, you really should be doing X, Y, and Z. You don't have the bandwidth to take that additional stuff on. To me, one of the core things that I want parents and individuals looking at first is the sleep piece. And here's why, because the research is so clear 
that sleep quality and quantity has such a profound impact on our brain function, that's an important thing to at least look at to say, is this something that needs improvement or not? Some kids sleep great. Their sleep is fine. Great. We check that off the list and say, awesome. We'll keep going with that. Let's move on to the next thing. But a lot of the kids that I see for a variety of reasons are not sleeping real well, maybe never in their life have slept very well. And we know as much as sleep is important for brain function for all of us, it is especially important for children. Even 30 minutes of lost sleep a night has a significant impact on their brain function, on their ability to you know, use their executive function skills, on their ability to regulate their emotions and behaviors the next day. The research is real clear about that. That's sort of a first thing that I like to have parents think about. Is my child getting consistent, good quality sleep? Are there warning signs there? Are there red flags? Does my child really struggle to settle down? Are they waking a lot in the night? Are they really restless? Even though they're asleep, and this is a big thing for a lot of kids with ADHD, they're sleeping, but they're like thrashing around. No one else in the family wants to share a bed with them when they go on vacation or to a hotel because they're all over the place. The kids asleep, but everybody else is awake. And what's important to know there is if your child is super restless in the night, they're actually not getting good quality sleep. So we want to look at if those are the kinds of things going on, that's a a good starting point to look at and say, okay, what do we need to be doing here to support better sleep? Is this a kiddo who needs a referral to a sleep medicine specialist to rule out things like sleep apnea, you know, uh, other types of things? Is this a kid who has um, some iron deficiency, which is not all that uncommon, especially in kids diagnosed with neurodevelopmental things? That's an easy thing to correct. And guess what? The sleep situation improves and then they feel better and they're functioning better. Is this an issue of needing to help the family and the child get some better routines in place around sleep? You know, there's lots of options of how we can support that, but that is a really important starting point if that's an issue for a child. Sleep is critical. I used to be able to prioritize my sleep really well and phenomenal, right? Like Eric Tivers, who runs the ADHD Rewired podcast. He used to say, like, I know I can't even send you a text message after eight o'clock because you're just not going to reply to it because I wouldn't. I was like, nah, dude, I am done at nine o'clock for me is eight o'clock for him. So I was like, I'm done. Like, that's don't don't even waste your time. Get me in the morning or send it. But don't expect a reply until later because it's time for me to go to bed. Like there's this time that is unwinding and relaxing. And part of my sleep schedule and my sleep hygiene is not looking at my phone when it's time to go to bed and putting the screens down. So important. But with COVID, man, I can't, it's not true anymore. It's just not the way it works because I'm not sleeping as much as I would like. And, and because my, and that's because my kids are struggling, right? My kids are having trouble getting to sleep, which means I'm having trouble getting to sleep, which throws everything off. It's just this cascade that can happen in a family. That's a really good thing for people to be thinking about right now at this moment in time, we're in the summer and we have an opportunity here as we, especially as we move towards the new school year, um, which, oh my gosh, my kids just finished school. So I don't even want to think about the new school year yet, but anyway, it'll be here um, sooner than we want it to be. Closer than we want to think. That's right. But you know, now's a good time to use these weeks that we have over the summer um, to get back into healthier routines with that as a family. I think your point is a really important one too, that when we're off and not managing our schedules and our sleep well, and our kids are off, it's sort of like, okay, wow, we need like a family reset. Right. And I think a lot of families are in that position right now for exactly the reasons that you described. Everybody's schedule and structure and everything's gotten thrown off over the last like 15, 16 months. And so now sort of an opportunity to say, okay, how can we step back, kind of hit the reset button and get back into some of these routines that we know, you know, work well, but we've just kind of gotten out of. And so I I think, I think it's a good opportunity now to be thinking about that. And I like the fact that you started with sleep because it's such a linchpin, right? For me, sleep falls apart and now I'm tired, right? In the day. Yep. And I have less brain power. And that plays out 
into two different areas. One is, um, I don't really feel like exercising today. Like I'm kind of exhausted. And why is there a cookie in my face? Like how, where did this cookie even come from? How am I eating this? I didn't even know that I was going to what? Oh, right. Cause the, I'm just physically exhausted. So I'm less likely to exercise. I don't want to do that. And the impulsivity side of ADHD and the, the sugar cravings that come with really a, a need for dopamine. And there's that snack. And now I'm eating stuff that I might not have otherwise eaten. And even worse is as that cascade occurs, now I'm at the supermarket and I am not buying as many apples and pears. I'm looking at the Oreo aisle and I'm like, they have what flavor? Huh? I want to get that banana cream Oreos. That's amazing. I don't think that one exists yet. It will now. You better trademark that quickly. <laughs> but that all of that stuff, sleep can kind of trigger a lot of other unhealthy habits if we're not getting enough. That's exactly right. And that's why I think it's just so foundational because honestly, what I have found in 20, however many years of practice now is if a child is not sleeping well, virtually nothing else that we're going to do is going to help all that much. That's how foundational it is. Um, whether we're talking about school stuff or we're talking about stuff at home or just for the, the person's well-being in general, it's so important. And so if you're listening to this and you're like, my kid's a great sleeper, they wake up refreshed, like we don't have problems with sleep. Awesome. Keep doing what you're doing with that. And then, you know, think about some of these other things we're going to talk about. But in my experience, a lot, a lot, a lot of kids and families, this is an area that they struggle with. And so it's just important to address it first, because exactly what you're saying, when we're getting good quality sleep and enough of it, it allows our brain to function better the next day. So we are able to pause before reacting impulsively. We're able to think about, oh, do I want the carrots or you know, do I want the cookies? Well, I want the cookies, but I'm going to choose the carrots anyway, or the exercise, you know, well, I could just sit here on the couch and have my face in my phone for another three hours, or I could go out and walk the dog. Right. And it gives us more of that bandwidth to be able to make the decisions that are better aligned with what we really know is good for us. But if we are in a sleep deprived state, and especially if that sleep deprivation becomes chronic, it's really tough. And, and I work with kids and adults who literally, when they start getting a good night's sleep for the first time, they can't even believe how differently they feel and function. They, they don't even know because they've never had it before. So like, oh yeah, sleep, it's important. And then they start sleeping and parents are going, wow, like this is my kid on sleep. I, I can't even believe it. Or kids will come in and they'll be like, I woke up and like managed my morning and I wasn't in trouble for something within the first 30 seconds. And I actually felt like good and they've never had that feeling before. So that's why I think it's just such an important, like in talking about this brain body connection, the integrative health pieces, I just think it's such an important foundation. Yeah. I don't doubt it because getting good solid sleep gives us more wiggle room. It gives us more space. Right. Yeah. And I like the fact that you use the cookie and carrot comparison. Because that one rings true for me. Cookies are often a false choice in my head because I don't want cookies. I want something that's crunchy. And I learned this. I want something crunchy and sort of soft, right? Like that's what I want. And I have learned over COVID that carrots and hummus do the same thing. Right. And are less awful for me, right? It's just a better choice. And often does it more effectively than cookies do. And this is some of that wiggle room. When I have that wiggle room and I can pay attention to this stuff, I've noticed that I eat a cookie and it's gone. Like I don't, it doesn't feel permanent even after it's gone into my face. It feels very illusory. Whereas carrots and hummus, like I can still taste it and it, it's required some work to chew that carrot. So like I remember it, like the, the, the working memory issues that come with ADHD where you eat two cookies and they're gone in four seconds and you don't remember eating them. That doesn't happen with a carrot because you got to work really hard to eat it. And you're like, I just ate a carrot. So I, I'd love to pivot into diet and into eating a little bit. And how much of, of what I'm looking at is a component of the poor eating habits that go with ADHD? Is some of it like a, a texture and a working memory piece or is it something else? Well, yeah, absolutely. It's a lot of things. And these issues certainly are not specific to people with ADHD, but they, 
tend to be magnified in people with ADHD, just like, as you said, like everything else, right? So I'll actually explain why that is, because you're right on about sort of like that cookie is there and then suddenly it's gone. And then what does that leave us doing? Reaching for another one, reaching, which is why nobody sits down with an entire bag of carrot sticks and a container of hummus. And like, before they know it, they've inhaled the whole thing, right? That That's not a thing that happens, but it happens with cookies. It happens with chips. It happens with those kinds of things, right? And what you're describing there is the effort and, and the work that it takes to eat something like carrots and hummus. What that does, our brain processes that in a different way. It takes a little bit longer. It's activating different processes uh, within our body. And that is what activates something called our satiety response. Our brain's ability to go, huh, we've had enough of this now, or, oh, we're actually full and we can stop. What happens with things like cookies and chips, because they are so easy for us to just eat and then it's gone, they melt in our mouth, they don't require much work. And from a nutrient density standpoint, they're not giving our body much information to work with in terms of fiber or anything else that is triggering those signals to our brain that go, hey, we've had enough, we're full which in the absence of that satiety response that our brain, you know, if it doesn't have that, we just keep eating, which is why suddenly we go, oh my gosh, I ate that entire container of ice cream or that entire bag of chips. And it's because that satiety response never kicked in. So that's why that happens. And absolutely it's easier for that to happen in somebody who has executive function issues because your brain already is struggling to regulate and process some of those things. And there's the dopamine piece of it, particularly with sugar. Um, and so there's all of those pieces. And so what we really need to look at from a practical standpoint is how do we make it easier to eat the things that we know help us to feel and function better, right? And if we've got a pantry full of cookies and chips and sugary granola bars and you know all of that, how likely is it that any of us, particularly kids, particularly kids with ADHD are gonna say, oh, no, I'm just gonna leave that pantry closed and I'm gonna open the fridge and find the carrots, right? We make it harder for ourselves and our kids when we've got all this stuff around that maybe is not as supportive of our health and our well-being. So I think from a very practical standpoint, looking at what do we wanna have around, how do we make it as easy and simple as possible for us to make the choices that we want to be making in relation to our health and our well-being. So I think that's a really practical way um, to think about it. And actually, I'd love to get into, if it's okay with you, one of the things that I think is most important nutritionally for people with ADHD to think about. What specifically do we need? You mean like protein and and omega-3s and that kind of stuff? Yeah, I actually think this is the simplest but most important thing for people with ADHD to think about around food, and that is blood sugar regulation. We can talk about protein, we can talk about omegas, we can talk about all kinds of things that the research has shown is, is helpful, but blood sugar regulation, keeping your blood sugar levels as stable as you can throughout the day is, in my experience and what the research shows, one of the keys to supporting healthy brain function, which again, just raises that threshold of how much bandwidth you have to manage all the things that you need to manage. And so when we talk about stabilizing blood sugar, let me give you an example of what that is not. And this is the experience that most kids have on a daily basis if nutrition isn't something that the family or you know others are thinking about. And most kids are riding what I call the blood sugar roller coaster all day long. So they wake up in the morning, they maybe have, you know, a cereal um, for breakfast, or maybe they're having a Pop-Tart or a muffin or some kind of like, uh, you know, instant breakfast, you know, whatever kind of drink. And while those things all have nutrients that people need, they give you calories, they give you energy to function, all of those kinds of things have quite a lot of added sugar in them. And they also have simple carbohydrates, which means carbs that are not whole grain, your body burns through and turns them into sugar really quickly. And so what happens is then blood sugar spikes. 
And oh, we feel so good when that happens in the moment. It's like, whoo, all right, starting the day. I've got energy. I'm ready. Let's do this. And your mood goes up, except the problem is that your body burns through that sugar burst in about 60 to no more than 90 minutes. And then you crash. And now when you have the blood sugar crash, now you are feeling irritable. You are feeling grumpy. You are feeling foggy headed, inattentive. Your memory's not good. And you just want to take a nap. So then what do you do? Maybe snack time rolls around and kids are, you know, maybe a school snack. I've seen all kinds of things. Maybe you have goldfish crackers and strawberry milk. Well, strawberry milk has as much sugar as a can of soda pop. A lot of people don't realize that those flavored milks that kids are drinking um, in school and elsewhere. Okay. So now we're back up on our blood sugar level. Whoop, now we're on a high. And then 60 minutes later, we're on a low. And Many kids are riding this up and down blood sugar roller coaster all through the day. And when you're on that blood sugar roller coaster, it's taking your mood, your energy level, your executive function, your anxiety. It's taking all of that right along with it. What we want to do is look at how can we make that steadier? How can we be feeding ourselves and our kids in ways that give us slower burning foods and nutrients that stick with us longer so that we're not having these ups and downs? And it doesn't mean you can't have anything with sugar. And it doesn't mean that you have to like go on some crazy diet where you're growing everything in the earth yourself and can't eat normal things. It just means that we're intentional about combining things like carbs with proteins and healthy fats. So if we're going to have a piece of toast for breakfast, for example, that we make it a whole grain piece of toast instead of a piece of white bread. And that we pair that maybe with a sausage or two or an egg, you know, for kids who like eggs, or we're putting avocado on that piece of toast because that's combining healthy fat with the carbohydrates. So we're thinking about how we can keep these blood sugar levels stable. For snacks, we're thinking about things like carrots and hummus or apples and nut butter or you know trail mixes that don't have a bunch of M&Ms and candies and things in them. We're thinking about combining these things in a way that helps the body burn through them more steadily and when we're doing that, what we do is give our brain a steady stream of the nutrients and the glucose and the building blocks that it needs to produce neurotransmitters steadily, to help our focus stay more steady, to keep our energy levels steadier. And so that's a really, really helpful and important way, I guess, for people to be thinking about how to eat for kids, for ourselves. Um, when we combine those proteins, um, those healthy fats, healthy fats being things like, you know, olive oil, coconut oil, avocado, nut butters, things that are more of those natural fats, as opposed to like margarine and like trans fats. So healthy fats, protein, and carbs, when we combine those, we help to keep our brain on this nice steady path. And then that keeps us emotionally and behaviorally more regulated. It helps our executive function. It just makes life easier. And going back to the sleep, guess what? Research shows that kids who have more stable blood sugar levels throughout the day, fall asleep easier and stay asleep better at night. And that goes for us as adults too. So this idea of eating in a way to combine foods for blood sugar stabilization impacts every single part of how we're feeling and functioning. I know that that's true because I've experienced it, right? The, the days when I'm eating junk, I'm foggy and I'm tired and, I'm, and I don't care and I don't want to do the thing. And the days when I'm eating better, when I'm having carrots and hummus or apples and I have to eat sun nut butter because I'm allergic to nuts. But that's a great option. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, I like it just as much as I ever like peanut butter. So yay. But those for a little while, I even ate apples with hummus on it, which is you wouldn't think was good, but it worked for me. People love that. You're not the only one. Yeah. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. No, absolutely. I have some kids who adore that. It was a texture thing for me. But one thing I want to point out is in my head, this is my own bias and I'm wrong and I know I'm wrong, but I don't always outthink it in my head, apples and sun nut butter feels like more effort and more time than Oreo cookies 
or a piece of toast with butter, which is like the same thing. And I have to actively kind of think past that and say, it's the same amount of time, roughly same amount of effort to make a piece of toast with butter and jelly on it as to cut up an apple and put some sun nut butter on it. It's the same thing. And one is a much healthier option and one is a much better option. And I point that out because people with ADHD, we often get stuck in this perspective of that's harder to do. And we don't actually think about whether or not it's right. My kids, because they have braces, I have to peel their apples for them. Well, I don't have to, but they can do it. But it's a mess when they do it. They still haven't kind of figured that out yet. (laughs) So if we're in a rush, I'm the one doing it. And I feel like it takes forever. In my head, that's like an hour-long process. In reality, it's like a minute, maybe a minute and a half to peel an apple. Like it's not that long, but it just feels long. And and recognizing that I think is important for, for ADHD folks. And there's this interesting flip side to that where I was observing this today. We, our stove recently died. So we have a new one, right? And the day our stove died, I was supposed to make banana bread for the kids. And I was like, well, I've got a camp Dutch oven. So I'm just going to go use my camp Dutch oven and go outside and like make banana bread in a camp Dutch oven. I am impressed. We were Boy Scouts like we do outside cooking. (laughs) And I am way more interested in cooking something outside, making a camp Dutch oven banana bread. I can make banana bread in my house again because the stove, we got a new stove. I kind of don't want to, like I kind of would rather make it in the Camp Dutch oven, even though it's a much more complicated process, but it's more engaging. That's right. And that's here too, right? Like it's interesting to me that I would think that I don't want to deal with apples because that's more complicated than toast, but I would also happily make a more complicated version of banana bread because it's more engaging. So paying attention to that with your kids and potentially yourself is also important. And that's the piece about making it doable, right? I mean, we can have all the information in the world about what would be helpful, but if we aren't able to take action on it or help our kids take action, it doesn't matter. And that that's the piece about what needs to happen to make it as easy as possible for you and your kids. To your point about like grabbing the cookies versus, you know, taking a little bit of time to cut things up, That that's totally true. And That is a great example of something that's not unique to ADHD, but having ADHD makes it harder to overcome that barrier. And so there, what I look at with families is how do we make this easier? First of all, by not having the stuff even around on a regular basis that you know is really problematic and that you're going to reach for. Okay. It doesn't mean you can't have any treats or anything in the house, but it does mean like looking at how much of that do we want to have around? And then how do we want to make this easy? How can we portion out, maybe especially if we've got you know, younger kids around, how can we portion out the nut butter or the sun butter into containers in the fridge so that it's easy to grab? And my kid with ADHD doesn't have to think, oh, I have to get the container out. And my mom doesn't want me eating out of the jar. So I'm going to have to like actually put it in another container. Like it's going to be a whole thing. How do we lower the bar so that it's easy to make these better choices? Pre-cutting things. Lots of companies now, even produce companies are recognizing this barrier and they're creating like pre-sliced, pre-peeled apple packets that you can buy to have in the fridge. How easy is that then? It's like kid just has to grab the packet, grab the little container of nut butter. There we go. For parents thinking about how do I batch some things? How do I get some things prepped ahead of time, cutting things up, whatever, so that it's easy making it as easy as possible. That's one big key to success here. And then on the flip side, what you're talking about, which is harnessing the amazing power of the ADHD brain to be really on and focused when you're intrigued by something or curious or want to see how something's going to work. I have many kids that I've worked with with ADHD who turn into amazing chefs in various capacities, whether it's cooking, how many different things can I cook on a stick over the fire in my backyard? Or how many TV shows can I watch with these gourmet chefs and recreate these amazing things and everything in between when their interest and their curiosity is piqued by that, we'll do amazing things with that. So if you've got one of those kinds of kids, how do you tap into that from a food and cooking perspective, get them in the kitchen with you. 
looking at recipe books, what's interesting to them, watching all of the many cooking shows, even for kids now, what stands out? What do they get excited about? And then capitalize on that and say, let's make that, or you try that, or you know, whatever. So I think it's tapping into the strengths so that we can make this as easy and as fun as and as interesting as possible. That that's where you get the application of this stuff that's so important. Let's move into movement. Yeah, movement is so critical. You know, some people love it when I say this and some people get really agitated, but the fact is that consistent physical exercise outperforms just about anything else that we might do for a person with a neurodevelopmental or a mental health issue. Whether we're talking about depression, anxiety, ADHD, the research on consistent, moderate levels of physical activity is so compelling and yet isn't talked about. Most people go to their you know, physician or get an evaluation done for their child or whatever, and there's no mention of any of that, which is so unfortunate because regardless of what you choose to do treatment-wise, movement's just going to help it work better. And if you say, I'm not going to do any other things treatment-wise, then movement's a great option. And guess what? Kids need to move. They, in general, electronic devices as an aside, they actually like moving. And, and I use movement instead of exercise because exercise, exercise is such like a dirty word to so many people, especially to adults. Like we have this whole story in our head about, oh my gosh, exercise. I just talk about it as movement. How can we incorporate more movement into the day? What we know about physical movement, particularly for kids, is it is one of the primary driving factors for brain development. Kids need to move in order to support the growth of neurons and connections in their brain. And there are very detrimental outcomes when you know young kids don't have the opportunity uh, for movement. And movement's not like a nice to do or movement's not just about, oh, you're so hyper, go burn off some energy, although certainly that can be helpful. Movement is literally a critical component of brain growth and development in kids. And unfortunately, our society and particularly our educational systems have organized themselves around this um, idea now that we don't need to give kids opportunities for movement. Um, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, we had multiple recesses a day. We had a morning recess, we had a lunch recess, we had an afternoon recess, we had PE classes. And now many kids that I work with maybe get one brief lunch recess. And what we know with COVID is the data, you know, coming out of the pandemic is showing us that kids are more sedentary than ever before. And this was already the most sedentary generation of kids that we've ever had. So this idea of needing to get kids physically active and moving is just so important. And people tend to think about the importance of exercise or physical movement for physical health, right? Oh, we don't want, you know, we want to combat childhood obesity and those kinds of things. And yes, it, it's important for that. But to me, it's even more important when we understand the profound impact that it has on brain development and growth in kids, and then on support brain function throughout the lifespan, even as we get older and we're not still in that, you know, childhood uh, phase of development where our brain is growing as rapidly, all of us as adults benefit tremendously from a brain standpoint from moving. So, you know, it's just important for people to not underestimate how valuable that is. And that can look a thousand different ways, but just the idea that we need to get kids and ourselves physically moving. I agree. My kids are more sedentary since COVID than they used to be. Mine too. We didn't do terrible. We take Kempo lessons twice a week. To some degree, weather permitting, rain gets in the way because we're outside. <laughs> um, snow gets in the way. It's freezing in the winter and that impacted our movements. We did go skiing six times over the course of COVID. It's been hard to get them going, particularly when I'm supposed to be homeschooling them. And I'm like, okay, we need to learn this stuff. And how do I do both at the same time? And basing it on the school model, which is sit on your butt and then sit on your butt. Yeah, which is incidentally, I think one of the most ridiculous things we as adults have ever uttered to a child, which is sit still and focus. 
sit still and, and learn this. And what that shows is the profound misunderstanding we have about the role that movement plays in brain function, particularly for kids, in being able to focus, in being able to process information, in being able to learn. When I was back as a teacher in the classroom, my room probably looked fairly chaotic to a casual observer walking by. And yet everybody was focused and engaged. They were just being allowed to do that in ways that met the needs of their brain and body. So I might have kids pacing and working. I might have kids bouncing and working. There might be kids propped up on their elbows on the floor, you know, working because we need to be more invested in how can we use movement to support exactly the things that we want kids to be doing as opposed to telling them they can't do it and then blaming them for why it is that they can't focus or they can't get their work done or their mood is so awful or why are you having all these behavioral dysregulation issues? Well, we've taken away a really important thing that they need in order to regulate their brain and be able to do that. And just being mindful of time, do you have any ending essentials that you'd like to share with our audience? I think what is most important around this whole topic is just to understand and appreciate the immense connection between what's going on in our body and what's going on in our brain. And for our kids to understand that physically what's happening for them in terms of what they eat and how they sleep and how they move and all of that, that that has a profound impact on how they're feeling and functioning on their ability to be their best selves. And when we understand that and acknowledge that, it allows us then to make choices in how we structure our lives, how we parent, how we eat, that, that are more aligned with supporting our kids' brains and, and their development and all that. So I think just the awareness of this and starting with one thing. Sometimes parents can get so overwhelmed with all this. Just start with one thing. Maybe it's just focusing on, you know, having your child drink more water or letting them, you know, move more while they're, you know, doing their homework or addressing, really pressing your child's healthcare practitioner on the sleep issues that you've been concerned about for a long time. Just pick one thing and start there and that'll kind of get the momentum going. Don't don't let yourself get overwhelmed with it. Just pick one thing and start and and then let it roll from there. Hey you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website, ADHDessentials.com, and visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.